never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that is not surprised when they chose Aquaman to host this year's Shark Week. However, next year, we hope it's us. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. How's it going, man? Uh, pretty good. That would be awesome if we got Wouldn't to host <laughs> Or even just host a segment on Shark Week. Maybe we could, you know, interview some sharks and whatnot. That would be great. You want to interview sharks? <laughs> I mean, I'm I down, right? <laughs> no, well, you know what we'll do is we'll do a uh, live show from what we'll do is we'll have them do one of those. Like, I don't know if you saw it. There's a documentary. One of the documentaries is called Shark House, and they built this like submergible dome structure for this guy to live in for seven days while he like studies the great whites. So we'll yeah. do that and we'll do a live show while great whites are swimming around us and stuff. It'll be awesome. That would be so awesome. <laughs> the one thing is just, if I've learned anything from the Meg 2 trailer, it's to not trust that something like that is Meg-proof, because it's not going to be Meg-proof. That's all That's all I've learned from that trailer, at least. So Right. Well, happy Shark Week, everybody. It's one of my favorite weeks in terms of television. So, um, how's, uh, how's your week been, man? It's been pretty good. Um... Every year, I never pay attention to the fact that it's Shark Week, and you always surprise me on that, Drew, but I'm glad that that's still going on, and I'm glad that you're enjoying it and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I've just been kind of hanging out. We just had San Diego Comic-Con, and every single year, I swear, that weekend lands on a weekend for me where there's just a lot going on. Like, there will be family parties, there'll be get-togethers with friends. It's one, <laughs> because that's basically what happened this year. Like, this weekend was one of those weekends where I had stuff to do every day, where I probably wasn't going to be able to afford to fly out to San Diego, but I kind of wanted to live vicariously through YouTubers and stuff that were at San Diego, and I didn't have as much time as I would have liked to just sit there with Twitter open, with social media open, watching like a live screen or a live stream of uh, Comic Con. So that's what I missed out. But uh, I did have one thing I wanted to uh, <laughs> wanted to talk about as sure. far as uh, watching and reading goes. Go ahead, man. Uh, yeah, while everybody was out there, the other thing that happened this weekend is we had the massive uh, release of Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah. The same did, weekend. So did you do the Barbenheimer? I, <laughs> the, I the didn't. Barbie Oppenheimer, the Barbenheimer <laughs> double feature? <laughs> no, I, I absolutely did not. That's what I was getting at, is I have never felt so outside of the world of pop culture because... 
I didn't get as much time as I wanted to spend just gushing over Comic-Con um, announcements, and I didn't get a chance to see Oppenheimer or Barbie this weekend. But instead, I've been spending my time watching a beloved comedy movie from 2015, and uh, I'll tell the quick story of what is going on in my household right now, because I don't know if I made a mistake or if it's a good thing, but uh, my son is really into Mario and Pac-Man and uh, just all the old school, like, 8-bit video yeah. games. What's that? You showed him Pixels, didn't oh, you? Oh, yeah, I did show him Pixels, <laughs> because... You can only watch, like, I love the new Mario movie, but that's been on repeat for, like, the last two months in our house. And I was just kind of trying to figure out, like, let's find some other movies that are in the same vein. And uh, I showed him Pixels the other night, and uh, I actually didn't know if he was going to like it, because I knew he was going to like the video game stuff. But I didn't, I thought he was going to get really bored during, like, just the main like the exposition stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My kid loves Pixels. It's his new favorite movie. He wants to watch it over and over again. It's currently streaming on, uh, or well, TBS is playing it, but we're just watching it on the TBS app. But it's literally been on repeat over and over again. And uh, for me, it's actually kind of cool because before now, I pretty much had only seen the movie once. It was kind of like it came out. I checked it out because it was about arcade games. And I was kind of like, that was pretty cool. And then I never watched it again. And uh, rewatching it with him has been kind of a blast just because I've noticed so many little tidbits within the movie that I didn't catch before. Like there's a lot of homages to um, older, like classic 80s movies. Like you have one of the shots of the film uh, of the film is an obvious homage to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, for example. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a shot in the uh, Pac-Man sequence that is very obviously trying to be a nod towards uh, uh, the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters. And there's all these little bits that I don't remember if I noticed the first time I watched the movie, but I've been enjoying a lot of that stuff. But uh, it got to the point where I actually was like looking at the IMDb page for Pixels and I started to look into like who wrote the movie and uh, directed it and kind of getting into like that level of nerdiness about pixels. And uh, it's actually kind of cool. I realized one of the writers is uh, was also a writer on role models, which is uh, one of my favorite movies. So I, th I thought that was kind of a cool thing when you think about pixels and all the eighties references. And then you think about role models and all the nerdy references and the classic rock jokes and stuff in that movie. But, uh, the other thing I noticed, which I totally forgot about, but pixels is based on a short film that came out in like 2010 or like the early 2010s. Uh, do you remember this or did you know no. about this? No, I don't so, think I saw this at all. So go ahead. Yeah. So this is a thing where, I'm pretty sure I watched this when it came out, but it's a short film, like it's between two and three minutes, and all it is is basically shots of New York City being attacked by these CG pixelized 
characters that are all based on the classic arcade games. So you do get the giant Pac-Man who's eating buildings. You do get uh, the Tetris pieces falling from the sky. You do get like uh, the Space Invaders characters and all that. And I remember when this came out, it kind of broke the internet. Like it was kind of just this short thing that went out on YouTube and everybody was like, oh, this is sweet. You got to watch it. And then, you know, five years later, you know, Happy Madison, you know, Adam Sandler <laughs> puts this movie together, Pixels, which became the movie that we all know. And I totally memory hold this uh, short film that it's based on. So that was kind of cool to go back and watch that and be like, you know, I think I've seen this before, and it kind of, like, took me back to, I don't know, a weird a weird time, like, 10 years ago. So, I don't know. That's my journey with Pixels lately. I imagine I'm probably going to watch it a lot more, <laughs> a lot more times in my house, but it's literally been on repeat, which is both kind of annoying, but also kind of cool. Um, really, I do like the movie Pixels. My one gripe with it is... I think some of the humor, or actually I want to say most of the humor in the movie falls flat for me. Like, I think if the movie was a lot funnier, it would be a lot more well-remembered. Like, it's kind of, it's a good movie, but it just needs better jokes, is kind of my assessment sure, of it. Sure. But uh, because of that, I kind of really haven't had a chance to watch <laughs> that much else. So. Drew, I know you mentioned you had some stuff. So I, I have stuff. stuff. So first off, um, I was on, so we closed the microphones last week, and then I was on vacation all the way until Tuesday. So you're thinking to yourself, oh, did Drew get a chance to do the, Bob, the Barbenheimer? No. I was able to watch Oppenheimer, but I did not get a chance to see Barbie. Now you think to yourself, how do you watch a whole bunch of stuff and not see both those movies? Well, from the time they came out, throw in my schedule and all that stuff. I wasn't able to go to the theater twice, but I was able to watch a lot of stuff on my own time. <laughs> yeah. That's where the that's where the hiccup comes in. So I did watch a lot, but of the two big ones, I was only able to see Oppenheimer. Anyway, so I'll get to that review. Probably I'll make that my last review. Movies things I did get to watch. First off, I finally watched Jurassic World Dominion. Um, <laughs> finally. Um, that clearly the critics didn't like it. The audience scores didn't like it. Um, but I'll tell you this, it's actually kind of fun and it's kind of cool what they were trying to do with it. And, um, I appreciated it for that alone. Uh, one thing I will say about the Jurassic Park movies where it doesn't matter if you're looking at the first one all the way to the last one, every movie always shows you new dinosaurs. Um, this one harkens back to some originals that you haven't seen since the first film. And you're just like, oh man, I haven't seen that guy. You know, um, this one pulled a lot of stuff from the original film, kind of bringing it up to date. Yeah, we had the original cast along with the new cast. But like, do you remember, do you remember in the first movie, uh, when Dennis Nedry got the, uh, uh, refrigerated, um, embryo can, the fake, uh, shaving cream and from the guy named Dodson. And he's like, Dodson, we got Dodson here. <laughs> Um, Dotson's in this movie again. <laughs> so, and no, nobody cared. Uh, that's uh, Dotson's actually the villain in this movie okay. because if you remember back from the original movie, his company was trying to steal the embryos so they could do their own thing. So this is that that company catching up. Um, 
And so, so I, d- I just think it's funny the uh, the idea that they bring Dotson back as the villain, which is actually a really cool touch. But the fact <laughs> that the audience scores were so low and stuff, so it's literally like, uh, you know, they're the movie studio is like, we've got Dotson here, and then it's like, see, nobody cares. So, uh, but carry on. What were you saying? No, it was really cool. And then they get to this point in the movie where they they're in like this. Um, uh, biogenetics compound near the tail end, like third act. And it was very haunted house type stuff, which was cool. So like <laughs> from like the first movie, the Dilophosaurus, the one with the little thing, the the neck like yeah. umbrella thing that opens up and then he spits the stuff. Those things were in there with them. And they're just like, it's dark and you're walking around these corridors and you don't know where they are. And then you have like the raptors and then you have the big ones outside. And like, we can't go outside because of the big ones, but we're stuck in here with the little ones. It was, it's got this really cool haunted house aliens kind of a vibe to it. in that third act. So it kind of got a little suspenseful. Like I said, I had fun with it. I didn't take it any more seriously than what it was. Um, so that's my review. It's not the best of the Jurassic Parks. I'm not going to lie. It's not. But I had fun watching it. Um, so there. That's awesome. I haven't seen this one yet. And uh, I think it's just one of those things where we've had so much Jurassic Park content within the sure. last, like, five years or so. I think it's just the hype train has settled down for it so much. And I think, and I yeah. think maybe like, the fact that the hype train and all the nonsense is over. So it was kind of ripe time for me to watch it. Yeah. Uh, it is on Amazon Prime if you want to check it out. Um, nice. I watched Scream 6 finally. Oh, cool. Oh, oh, this movie's awesome. Wow, <laughs> this movie's great. Um, I love the Scream franchise. I've loved all of them. They're great. Yes, they have their ups and downs like any franchise does, but this was a really cool tying things together. It's almost like you have Scream 1 through 3, and then you have Scream 4 through 6 as like it's like two separate trilogies, if you will. I know the spacing is weird, but when you but when they brought uh, Hayden Panettiere back to play Kirby, yeah. it just kind of like rolled it all back into like one little ball, um, which was cool. Um, the uh, Ghostface um, Museum um, or like the Ghostface Shrine, if you will, where they were they're collecting all the like evidence and like putting it together like museum i don't know like you saw the movie right or am i ruined yeah yeah i watched it i was literally like where do you go from here like we there's got to be another movie coming like you know uh um jenna ortega signed on for three so where are we going with this um <laughs> they'll come up with something but they uh... will i just i really i really liked it i had so much fun the new york stuff was kind of cool i expected the new york stuff because they're in a city to be a little more grander like to yeah. utilize the whole city kind of the way uh die hard with a vengeance did um but it was really kind of it's like we we're doing new york and the crowds were really cool because it was halloween so everyone's running around wearing the mask so you don't know who the real killer is and all that stuff so that created that tension i just was expecting uh, a little bit more um but i thought the movie was great there is one glaring daytime to nighttime transition that makes little to no sense <laughs> but every horror movie does that so i kind of let that go <laughs> yeah and yeah kind of let that go it's basically the scene where um they're in central park kirby is trying to use the girls as bait to kind of lure out the killer into the daytime so, or at least lure him out to make the phone call so she can trace the call and when she does you find out that she's in 
um, Courtney Cox's apartment. And they're like, oh, we got to go get her. Upper West Side. All right. And they're in Central Park going to Upper West Side, which shouldn't take more than like an hour or two. Broad daylight Central Park, almost midnight when they get there. <laughs> so Good call on that. I didn't even notice that, but that's pretty funny. Um, um, but every I, horror movie, every horror movie does something like that. And yeah. it's, it's fine. It's just made me laugh. So <laughs> I thought Screen 6 was great. Um I know I mentioned it, but when we did the college movies list, uh, Drew, now you see how this could be one of your yeah. top five favorite favorite college films. Yeah, it definitely makes uh, a college list. I think Scream 5, or just Scream, I should say, I think I I enjoyed that movie more, and I think there was a lot... I think the script might have been tighter, and uh, there was a lot more just, like, meta goodness to uh, sink your teeth into, but Scream 6 was really great and i remember there was one shot of the film where when i reviewed it on the show i mentioned it but it, it's worth mentioning it it again and drew since you just watched it you might remember you'll be able to remember this better than me but there's the part at the end when they're they're like in the scream museum and the killer is chasing one of the uh one of the characters and he's there's this shot where it's like there's a screen. I, I, I think it was like one of the stab movies was being played on this giant movie screen and the killer walks through like a hole that he cuts in the screen while talking about the scream movies or the stab movies, however you want to phrase it. And the camera like goes over the movie screen like it transitions over and you get a bird's eye view of the killer walking through the screen. And it's such a beautiful meta thing where you're watching this character talk about the talk about the real life incidents that in that affected the movies that were made while walking through a screen that's playing the fake movie based off the real movie and I don't know it was like this crazy like there's like five or six levels of meta-ness to it and I was just like this shot makes up for any like lack of meta-ness in this whole movie. This is sure. so good, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. The movie was fantastic. I had I had so much fun watching it. And I almost and I was kind of I was actually sad when it ended. I'm like, "No, let's keep going." But, you know, yeah. it's it's all good. It was it was great. Um well, keep coming out with them. I hope the Scream Scream fan franchise goes on forever, you know what I mean? I hope it does too, but you do know eventually they're going to have to go to space and we're going to have to suffer through that. Um, but all horror movies go to space at some point, so I guess. <laughs> See, that's the thing, though, too, because I feel like Scream does a really good job of commenting on the state of horror at the time it comes out. They and, do, and I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I don't think a horror movie has really gone to space, um, for so Scream might Jason, not go to space. Jason and Leprechaun are the most recent ones that I know. And those are like pretty old at this point yeah jason x was like early 2000s and leprechaun was like late, late 90s, 90s for leprechaun in space yeah um the uh let me let me see the franchise rules that was cool uh because right. in, in uh, scream 5 they were t or scream the fifth one they were talking about um how it's a requel and you're just like oh that's cool the requel rules yeah i get that and then 
she's like, we're not dealing with that kind of stuff anymore. We're now dealing with the franchise. So here's the issue with the franchise. And I just kind of laughed because, you know, it falls into like all the tropes of like, you know, all the like legacy characters and stuff like that. They made that joke too. I was like, oh, that's just clever. They're just rolling with it. It's awesome. So I just, I just thought of something with how crazy Scream gets. Are they going to get to a point in the Scream movie series where they do a reboot of the first film, but it's not a reboot? <laughs> I, feel, I feel like that was Scream 5, to be completely honest. That's why well, they were like, referring talking to... about like you have like Sidney Prescott and you have like all the same characters playing the same roles. But they're technically not. I don't know. There's some way. There's some weird way they're gonna pull that off. I I, I could be wrong, but I think that'd be a cool challenge. The Scream for them to franchise do. is the franchise to try and pull that off for real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Let's see. After Scream Six, I watched Superpowered on Max, which is the three-part DC documentary. Uh, yeah, I need to watch this one. Which is all about the history of DC Comics. Um. First off, there's a good chunk of it that I already knew because I'm a comic book guy. Yeah. Um, they covered everything so well. The stuff that I learned, the stuff that I was like, oh, that's awesome. They covered they covered the Joel Schumacher Siegel thing with the getting the rights properly handled. They covered the uh, Bill Finger stuff properly. They covered, um, I mean, they covered everything. They covered the rise of Marvel and how that hurt DC. They covered the comic book industry collapse. They covered, it was, it was such a good documentary. Uh, but it's a three-part series, so enjoy it. They talk about how DC came up with the multiverse first and got the criticism from Marvel, which was great. Because the, the, the DC multiverse goes all the way back to the 50s when the first, when Flash first broke the uh, reality barrier. Um, the Flash of Two Worlds or something like that was the issue. So uh, they cover all that. It was such a good documentary, dude. You have to watch it. Um, uh Narrated by Rosario Dawson. Awesome. Um, really cool. Um, so, yes, check that out. It's great. Um, I watched another show on Apple TV. And I'm going to tell you something. Apple TV. I have watched, of all the Apple TV originals. You're still there, right? You're being quiet. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I was like, shoot, did I lose Peter? No, Apple, no <laughs> Of the Apple TV originals, I've watched Ted Lasso, Morning Show, uh, Shrinking, After Party, They've all been fantastic. All of them have been good shows, and I would recommend them to anybody. The show that popped up in the You Should Watch category was a show called Mythic Quest. And I'm like, what is this? So I watched the trailer, and I was like, oh, this looks hilarious. So I started watching it, and now I'm in binge mode because there's three seasons for me to watch, and it's fantastic. Um, I would liken this show to Silicon Valley crossed with grandma's boy and it's a but it's about video games so it's literally about a video game industry uh making an mmo called mythic quest and it's all about the testers coders the guys working in the offices it's a workplace comedy about that environment it is hilarious <laughs> absolutely <laughs> hilarious i've seen this advertised and i thought it looked cool but i haven't watched it yet obviously but no because yeah, you have access to apple tv but you don't use it um, <laughs> um no i'm having so much fun with it and because i don't know i was like literally it was like three seasons i am so behind i didn't even know this show was a thing 
And it's been just a lot of fun from beginning to where I'm caught up to now. I'm just laughing my butt off through the whole thing. It's so good. Um, and if you play video games, if you don't, even if you don't play video games, you're going to get this and find it hilarious. It's so good. Um, but it's very like up to par. Uh, they have a really clever um, pandemic episode because they talk about they do one episode where everyone got quarantined and they're stuck at home. And uh, they do a Zoom call. There's a Zoom call with the testers where they're kind of joking. This was one of this was such a cool scene. The one girl, they're testers. So they're on a Zoom call while they're playing so they can communicate. And she goes, hey, do you want a chip? And the girl goes, yeah. And she grabs her bowl and sticks it so it's just out of frame. And then the girl on her screen reaches out of frame and grabs a chip. And she's like, thanks. And they're just kind of goofing around, having fun with the fact that they're not with each other. Nice. Um, <laughs> but one of the other testers goes, we could make this better. And she's like, what are you talking about? And he goes, check this out. And he takes a toilet paper roll and sets it on camera on the side of his screen. And then he goes and he moves his... And he takes his image and moves it between the two girls. And on the other side of the screen, he puts the chip bag. And he goes, hey, poke your side of the screen. And she goes, okay. So she pokes it and he taps the toilet paper roll. So it rolls across the desk, hit, knocks over the chip bag. And he goes, take a chip. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, that was better. And then they start talking and he's like, you know what? We can make this even better. We're going to have to get everybody online. At the end of the episode, you see the company-wide Zoom call. And each box was a section of a Rube Goldberg machine that linked to the next screen, to the next screen, to the next screen, all the way down to the girl getting her chip at the end. <laughs> it was awesome. It's pretty great. <laughs> it was awesome. I thought that was great. But it's like little things like that. The show is, it shows really good. So uh, Mythic Quest, check it out. Um, I'm having a blast with it. Okay. Final thing that I watched, because clearly I watched a lot. Um, Oppenheimer. Um this movie is absolutely incredible. Um, from beginning to end, it is an absolute film masterpiece. Um, I know all the reviews are saying that. Um, I know all the critics are saying that. The audience test scores are saying that. The movie is astounding. There are sections of the movie that are heavy. I'm not going to lie. And when I say heavy, it's like on an emotional level because it's heavy subject matter. I mean, they're building the atomic bomb to kill people. You know what I mean? It's part of the war. But it talks about literally not just the construction of the atomic bomb, the learning of quantum mechanics, the race race against the Nazis, the dropping the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, the fallout of did I make a mistake, the remorse of all the people you kill, the political fallout with the hearings and all that stuff leading us in, uh, into the Cold War. I mean, there is so much. It's such a dense movie, but it's absolutely phenomenal. The screenplay, the acting, everything is like top notch. Like I said, it is a masterpiece of a film. Um, I cannot talk more highly of this movie. It is incredible. Um, it's three hours, but I never really felt like three hours. Um, one of the things that I noticed about it was, you know how when you watch Titanic, the ship sinks at the end of the movie? Well, I was expecting build the bomb, all this lead up, that kind of stuff. Bomb goes off, end of movie. That's what I thought was going to happen. Uh, no, the bomb goes off at the two-hour mark. And you're just like, and I remember looking at my watch because I was like, there's no way we're at three hours. I'm like, oh, there's a whole other hour to go, you know. Um, <laughs> bomb goes off at the two-hour mark, and then the final hour of the movie, full hour, maybe 50 minutes, is them covering the fallout of, 
the remorse of dropping it or his him dealing with the demons of the fact that he dropped a nuclear bomb and killed 10,000 people or 20,000 people or whatever. And then um, the political fallout of him being commute, uh, being accused as a communist and like the hearings and the depositions, and all the lawyers getting involved and stuff. But when you're just like soaking it all this up, you're just like, oh, my God, this is absolutely incredible. Um, the movie is fantastic. Uh I just I don't know what else to say that hasn't already been said in terms of the critics and the people talking about it. Um, when you look at the box office dollars and someone goes, all right, so who won Barbie or Oppenheimer? This is a double edged sword, I think, because I think everyone knew that Barbie was going to rake in the majority of the money, which is exactly what happened. I think we all knew that was going to be like I even said it a few weeks ago, like Barbie's going to win the box office race. But I think in the end, it's going to be Oppenheimer receiving the Oscar over Barbie. You know what I mean? So one man <laughs> made more. You know what I mean? It's an interesting who made more money. <laughs> it's such you know? a weird. This is such a weird set of movies to compete like this. Like, I, I remember when there was a time when Batman v Superman and uh, Civil War was going to come out on the same weekend. And I think BVS ended up shifting its release date. But in that case, those are two movies that it makes all the world of sense for them to be competing but like barbie and oppenheimer are two completely different movies and besides the fact that they're both they both were like very anticipated i really have no idea why we're like pitting them against each other you know besides the whole meme of the situation i don't really know why this is a thing but it is pretty hilarious um me being kind of an ignorant bystander who hasn't uh, seen either movie, I will say this. Everything I see about Oppenheimer, as far as hype online and uh, people talking about it, everything I've seen since it's came out has made me want to see the movie more. Barbie, on the other hand, everything I see about it has made me want to see the movie less. <laughs> And I can't really say specific things, but it's like some of the viral jokes about it and stuff, like the whole like I am Kenuff sort of thing. Like, I don't know what that means. I don't know the context of it in the film, but somebody who hasn't seen the film, I just think it's dumb and annoying. Like, I don't see the humor in that. Sure. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, I don't really want to see Barbie as much as I used to, but Oppenheimer, I'm still really excited about. So that's kind of where I'm sitting with that situation. But again, I'm like the least qualified person to comment on this at this point, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. And I, I want to see Barbie no matter what. Um, but I do know some of the things that you're mentioning. And it's not that I'm like lost in the joke. And I know a lot about the plot. If you watch the trailer, you can pretty much figure out what the main plot of the movie is. Uh, the social commentary of it. Some of that has been a little spoiled for me uh, just because of the Internet. Um, but I look forward to watching it for the sake of uh, all of that. Um, I do. I am curious because of the social commentary that I've already heard about. I wonder which of the two movies sparks the bigger conversation. It should be Oppenheimer, but I'm <laughs> but I have a feeling it's actually Barbie that's sparking the uh, bigger conversation. But, you know. Well, I think both movies probably have um, a good bit of social commentary, and I don't know that, um, like, I think both movies probably comment on stuff that's really worth talking about. Um, 
The one thing I was going to say, though, is I've heard that Barbie has the exact same plot of the Lego movie <laughs> to the point where there's one like super famous comedic actor who plays like an almost identical role in Barbie as he does in the Lego movie. And I'm not trying to spoil things, but if you've seen the Lego movie, you probably can see where I'm going with that. But uh, no, just really... Uh, We'll have to actually watch the movie and give a review of it because at this point it's just us speculating and us probably speculating on stuff we were already speculating on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, hey, go see Oppenheimer. All right. So how about this? Go see Oppenheimer. It's fantastic. Absolutely amazing. Nice. You really need to get caught up on your Apple TV stuff. If you really have um, if you really have access, Peter, you got a lot to watch. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll watch Pixels like five more times and then I'll jump on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Watch Superpowered. I think you'll love it. Like, I look, you're going to know a lot of it just like I do, but you're going to love it how it's all put together. And then Jurassic World Dominion, if you're up for it, give it a shot. Just wait. Your kid's going to get into dinosaurs at some point, and then it's gonna, you're going to be watching those movies a lot, too. So. <laughs> Does Yoshi count as a dinosaur? <laughs> uh, Sure, but... I know, I know what you mean, though. He's going to get that dino... Uh... He's going to get the dino bug. You, it's going to happen. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about news because we got a ton to cover and some of it is going to be quick. Some of it's not. Um, this is this is a weird Comic-Con. OK, so I was expecting all kinds of press conferences and massive announcements. Last year's Comic-Con, Marvel got on the stage and went, hey, check this out. And they just unloaded information. Yeah. Guess who wasn't at Comic-Con? All the major publishers. There was no big announcements <laughs> in the weirdest way. Um, yeah. So it was bizarre to me that, like, think about it. James Gunn made his DC announcement. He doesn't have to go to Comic-Con and say anything. Let's just stay at work and make our movies. Marvel has this giant slate of stuff that they announced. And they've pulled back a lot of the shows and stuff and reworked their schedule and everything. So they're probably not ready to talk about stuff. So there really wasn't anything there. Um, so it was kind of interesting. DC animation did show up and they released some uh, details of some things coming, which I'm very excited about. Um, there are some other news that kind of hit and I was just like, this is cool. Um, and then there was some comic book news and then there were a handful of trailers that I was like, oh, interesting. Okay. Like the Marvel's trailer, brand new Marvel's trailer gives you a better idea of the story. Movie looks pretty good, right? What's interesting about the Marvels movie is it might not be allowed to be shown in IMAX at all. And it's only going to be shown in IMAX if Dune decides to help shift their release and allow for some of the screens to show Marvels on top of Dune. <laughs> Which, to be fair, I, I feel like Dune is going to be a movie that's more deserving of IMAX, even though I do think the Marvels does look pretty cool. Like, I think it looks like it's going to be pretty fun but i also don't know if it's going to be a must see on imax movie and maybe that's just me but right. um no that actually is pretty funny um right. just since you were talking about the publishers um and i'll let you keep going i did see online that uh dc did definitely have a presence at this kind yeah, of they did but have a presence it wasn't that sort of big Paul H like huge announcement sort of pre presence, but uh, I did see like trending on Twitter like a lot of the uh, the DC like 
big like booth setup they had on the show floor was actually pretty spectacular because they had like a lot of cool stuff like they had the uh blue beetle suit on display they had a lot yeah. of stuff from their movies and like i think they had the uh aquaman 2 suit on display and like a yeah. lot of other cool stuff like they had a presence but it wasn't it wasn't like the last 10 years of comic cons where every year you have dc and marvel just dropping crazy amounts of news on us you know and that's kind of what i i missed out of the whole situation you know yeah, yeah that's why i said it was an odd con and it was very odd for news but since you brought up DC, let's start here. Um, because Marvel was quiet, pretty much. And that's really like, when, yeah, that's pretty quiet in terms of Marvel news. So let's talk about some DC stuff, shall we? So first off, Ben Affleck's Batman scene has been cut from Aquaman 2. Um, which kind of uh, saddens me a little bit. But when you think about how the Flash played out and them trying to ease into this new James Gunn universe... Batman's been Batman's been cut and that kind of sucks. Aquaman sequel has gone through three reshoots, two different Batmans and multiple test screenings. Um, I've seen reports that Aquaman 2 is not shaping up to be that good of a movie. A lot of people are complaining about it. One of the biggest things that makes Aquaman 2 difficult is they've already said that Aquaman is not specifically a part of the new the James Gunn universe going forward. So where you're getting messed up box office returns for like the flash and blue beetles about to suffer from it. And then Aquaman two is probably definitely going to suffer from it is because everyone's like, who cares about that? We're waiting for James Gunn stuff, you know? Um, and that's kind of a messed up point, but the flash just released digitally for purchase and the sales are through the roof in comparison to the box office dollars that it didn't make. Interesting. So, <laughs> um, it is interesting I mean, I, to look at that aspect, so. I was saying when we reviewed the movie that it kind of did feel like a uh, cult classic film, like uh, The Flash. Like, it was a big-budget release, but it had, like, this kind of culty quirkiness that I can't quite put my finger on. But I do feel like The Flash is a movie that's probably going to do better on video than it did in the theaters, and that has a lot to do with the timing of it and uh it's a movie that it might take a bit for it to find its audience but for people who like dc and like drew i know you and i have liked dc and like dc movies for our whole lives like we grew up watching uh michael keaton as batman and christopher reeves as superman and i if you like dc like the legacy of dc movies in general like you have to see the flash like it's such a good love letter to everything dc and it's just i don't know i hope it finds that cult audience that it deserves is really what i'm saying so um i'm gonna correct myself um i said that aquaman won't be part of the new dcu um i'm gonna renege that and say aquaman and the lost kingdom will not be part of the new dcu which means the events of that film probably are not gonna matter for going forward uh, okay. where not Aquaman, but that movie itself, which is just goofy to me. That's like they're making statements about it. Like, let your movies perform on their own, you know. Um, do you remember when uh, James Gunn made his announcements for uh, the movies themselves, like what the slate is? Yes. Uh, well, since he did so, and he specifically referred to the comic books, something that Marvel doesn't do. 
Okay, they don't. And every time they do it, like, hey, we're going to tell this story. Hey, we're going to tell this story. Well, that's great. I'm happy for you, Marvel, that that's your plan. But they never talk about the comics specifically. It's always the movies themselves. Well, James Gunn basically said, hey, I really like this run of Supergirl, so that's what the movie's going to be based on. I really like this run of Batman, so that's what the movie's going to be based on, so on and so on. He did that. Well, since they've done that, DC Comics titles have tripled in sales since James Gunn and Peter Safran took over DC Studios. Yeah, I, I heard that, uh, I don't know if it was Jim Lee or if it was just kind of announced by DC in general, but I heard somebody saying that um, The Authority, for example, like people are yeah. reading The Authority like crazy, and that was kind of just like a really obscure, buried sort of memory hold uh, comic story, but now sales of The Authority are through the roof. So that's pretty awesome. And I think... I don't want to go on and on about this, but I I think it was I don't know if it was one of the Blue Beetle trailers where they advertised like if you're interested in B- Blue Beetle, check out your comic shop, like check out DC Comics and read more about this character. And I think DC is doing some really cr- clever stuff to advertise their comics in a way that Marvel isn't doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that being said. James Gunn released the list of the must-read comics before you watch his movies. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so we're gonna go since it is a Comic Con news weekend. Check this out. So James Gunn's saying these are the these are the comics you want to check out before you watch the new DCU stuff. So first off, All Star Superman makes sense because of uh, Superman Legacy, but All Star Superman is a fantastic book if you want a really cool yeah. Superman story and artwork. Um, the Authority Book One. Um, since we just mentioned that Batman and Robin volume one, Batman reborn. That's that specific one. This is the Grant Morrison run. Um, this is the, uh, it's, it's basically Batman and Robin, but it's the Grant Morrison run, uh, which is the, uh, it's about Batman and Damian Wayne specifically. Um, okay. Next Alan Moore's swamp thing. That's a book that comes up a lot. Kevin Smith talks about it a lot. Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing is probably one of the most famous. Um, yeah. Super Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, that uh, by Tom King. This was one that um, uh, James Gunn specifically pointed out. Tom King's a fantastic writer. Um, all the everything Tom King I've read has been amazing. Um, I have not read Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, but I did flag it because I read on the DC app so I can read it later. Um, It's one of the things that I'm looking forward to getting to. And I want to say and correct me if I'm wrong, but last episode, didn't we talk about Tom King was being brought on as a writer for the DCU? Yeah, he's going to be part of uh, shoot. What story was that? I mean, hopefully Supergirl, but (laughs) yeah, no, I actually. I actually think it was Swamp Thing. Oh, that's cool, too, though. Might have been Swamp Thing. Yeah, it's James Mangold. Yeah, I think it was James Mangold and Tom King are tackling, tackling Swamp Thing. Um, I nice. could be wrong. I could be wrong. I know I brought, talked about it a couple weeks ago, so if I am, I apologize. Um, uh, the next one on the list is Wonder Woman Historia, the Amazons. James Gunn talked about there will be a television show based on the Amazons. Um, so awesome, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Batman and Son. Uh, by Grant Morrison and Andy Kubert. Um, this book I have read. This is fantastic. It's another Batman and Damian Wayne thing. It's such a cool um, 
addition of that story, which will be great since we're moving into that. We're going to get that Robin. You're going to get Damian Wayne Robin. And it's um, the brave and the bold. That's what we're looking at. So it should be cool. Um, Booster Gold by Jeff Johns. Uh, the 52 pickup. Um, this one I have not read, but and Booster Gold is not one of my favorite characters, but Jeff Johns is a phenomenal writer. And the times that I've liked Booster Gold the most has usually been because Jeff Johns is writing it. Um, okay. Um, Creature Commandos, new edition uh, by J.D. Uh, J.M. DeMantis. Um, I don't know anything about the Creature Commandos because until James Gunn talked about them, they were kind of a very obscure title for me. But if you look at Marvel, Guardians of the Galaxy was once just obscure title, you know. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Wonder Woman Paradise Lost uh, by Phil Jimenez. Um, this is one that I have read. This is a fantastic book. Um, yeah, so I don't know. We don't really know what role Wonder Woman's taking part in, but we do have this Amazon show coming. Um, Wonder Woman Paradise Found, uh, same author. And then um, Waller versus Wildstorm uh, by Spencer Ackerman. Um, this is not one I'm familiar with either, but um, Amanda Waller is really cool. Wildstorm is really cool. Um, so, yeah. And that is it for the uh, those those specific list of books. So, yeah. So. I didn't know about waller versus wildstorm at all but are we talking about like the Wa wildstorm um characters like uh wildcats and stuff like that uh possibly there's not a unfortunately when i like i have i'm gonna have to google this to find out what it is because um, i think i think like grifter was one of the wildstorm characters and like yeah i don't know anything about this either so i'm kind of curious but like because wildstorm was uh like Jim Lee's corner of image comics. And then when he joined a DC, he brought all those characters to DC and the idea of us getting like those classic image comics, Jim Lee characters in this new live action DC universe. That sounds like really, right. bad, but I might be uh, Waller versus Wildstorm, early 1980s cold war stubbornly refuses the thaw new battle heats up for the soul intelligence agency checkmate as the agency super heroic public face Jackson King, AKA the armor battalion, former leader of Stormwatch and civil American might blah, blah, blah. Uh, but King doesn't know Kane is a clever new ally, ambitious young woman named Mallor Waller. It's basically, it sounds like it's like the origin story of Amanda Waller as they're bringing yep. in. Yeah. It basically looks like an origin story for Amanda Waller. So I think I was completely off with the whole Jim Lee in the comics <laughs> history, but sure. it sounds cool. <laughs> but uh, what I'm getting from this is, one, James Gunn is bringing, or it's awesome. He's giving people a checklist, like, read these comics. He's bringing the moviegoers to the comic books, which is something that I feel like both big comic book companies should have perfected years ago and they're still struggling with it and it's frustrating but james gunn's doing the lord's work and saying hey read an actual comic this is the stuff you're going to want to check out and that's awesome the other thing i'm getting from this list is james gunn really likes grant morrison which there's nothing wrong with that but uh i mean grant morrison did write all-star superman and uh you know, like four or five other titles that you mentioned there. So uh, that's pretty cool, too. <laughs> um, 
All right, another DC news. DC announced two animated movies coming. Really anxious to see both of these. First off, one of them will be an animated movie called Watchmen. Um, it from all um, it looks like it's going to be a comic accurate animated representation of the beloved graphic novel Watchmen. Nice. Uh, which will be great because the live action movie, which there was nothing wrong with it in my opinion kind of took a little bit of liberties with the ending for reasons that make sense. When you look at what they were doing, they changed the ending of the thing, which is fine, but the, it's just a little different than how the book went. Um, the other animated film, which I'm really excited about, and I'm hoping they're able to do this justice on an animated scale. And you know, they will because they don't have, because animation doesn't really have the same budget because they can tech as long as they can draw it, they can kind of do whatever they want. Yeah. Um, but it, I could see it being broken into a couple parts, but Justice League Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, <laughs> nice. So it's like they're going to do the full Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover in animated form. Um, all right, comic news. This was this was probably my favorite of the comic announcements because it just seems awesome. Greg Capullo, uh, artist who ran with a. Um, who ran with Scott Snyder for such a long time doing artwork with Scott Snyder on Batman proper and then some Justice League stuff, Batman Eternal. He did all the Court of Owls things. Um, he worked on Batman and Spawn. Um, Greg Capullo announced that he will, after a 30-year hiatus, is returning to Marvel specifically to work on Wolverine. Oh, um, beautiful. Awesome. Capullo's artwork is amazing, but um, to see him jump to go to one to go back to Marvel, cool. But I was like, well, what title is he working on? Oh, Wolverine, awesome. I'm kind of in. Like, <laughs> you yeah, know, he's so good at like just really gritty but expressive stuff. So that's just gonna be that's gonna be great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Um, here's a couple movies. Borderlands, based on the video game Borderlands, will be coming out uh, next year, August 9th. Um. White Bird, which is a um, it's based off of a book that uh, kind of falls in the Wonder series from the same author who wrote Wonder. Um, that's getting a movie will be a, a quarter four of 2023. So we should see that here. It's probably going to be like a Christmas push movie. And then the one that kind of blew my mind a little bit is we're getting another Dirty Dancing for 2025. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Um <laughs> It's probably going to be a requel or something like that. Um, thoughts on Borderlands or Dirty Dancing or no? I don't know about the Dirty Dancing announcement. I feel like Dirty <laughs> Dancing and no, it's just one of those things like Dirty yeah. Dancing and Footloose and a lot of other like beloved like 80s movies kind of were like kind of like these perfect product of their time time capsule films and the original version is just so charming and we all love to go back and revisit it and every time they try to reboot stuff like that i feel like it doesn't work on the same level like everybody's still just going to keep going back to the original and so that's kind of uh unfortunately probably where i sit with those but um yeah what was oh what was the other one there was another one that you mentioned borderlands dirty dancing and whitebird Borderlands, I think, could be cool. And yeah. I think I'm going to be really curious about how the visuals are handled because the Borderland games are 
while the graphics are really well done and there is a realism to them, the games are really based off of more of a sort of like heavy line work, uh, kind of like concept art sort of look. Like it's kind of comic booky concept art looking. And I'm kind of curious if those elements are going to translate over to the movie. Like, are these going to be characters who are in live action, but they're going to have like heavy outlines on on them and like, you know, yeah, patch lines for shading and stuff. I'm really curious how they're going to handle that. And it makes me think of all the Borderlands uh, cosplays you see at conventions and stuff like that. And it makes me wonder, are they going to do something similar to like the Borderlands cosplays we've seen? Or is it going to be more of a straightforward realistic representation like there's a lot of questions there but uh that's a really exciting thing to look out for uh did you have any thoughts on that one drew um basically everything you said because i think borderlands enough to have the same thought on the art design and all that stuff but it also could have a very like mad max look to it by the time they get it to the screen um either way it's going to be interesting to see how they pull it off um i think jack black was uh, listed for Claptrap um, in terms of <laughs> cast. The yeah. only thing that bums me out about that is I really think they should be using the actual voice actor who voices Claptrap in the game for that role. I really, really do. This isn't like Mario, where Mario has like a couple, like, like he says, like, it's a me, Mario, and a Wahoo, right? And then you go, well, what Chris Pratt can't do that. And then Chris Pratt was fine because just of the amount of like dialogue he's got to deliver. Claptrap has a ton of dialogue and people will notice. And we don't want this to turn into a Halo Paramount show disaster. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Um, the original 1987 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series is returning to Nickelodeon. I don't know. I don't know if you saw that. I don't know if you're excited about that in terms of like turning to your kid and being like, hey, enough of this Mario stuff. Let me show you Ninja Turtles. (laughs) I I missed this announcement, but it's really exciting. Um, So they're producing new episodes of this. Well, I don't know if they're well, because they have the new movie coming and they're going to have a TV show based on the new movie. But the original series from 1987 is returning to Nickelodeon. So it looks like they're going to re-air all the original shows. That's but it's also but Nickelodeon falls under the Paramount banner, so it'll all be on Paramount Plus as well. Nice. So that um, that'll be fun to go back and check out. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard. I don't have necessarily a lot to say, but that's just cool, you know. You're a bigger <laughs> Turtles fan than I am. That's why I asked if you had any add, add, added points to that. Um, speaking of old television shows like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles coming back. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is rebooting Biker Mice from Mars. <laughs> All right. Then. Um, Ryan Reynolds, a reboot of the cult classic cartoon Biker Mice from Mars is on its way, which will be co-produced by Ryan Reynolds production company Maximum Effort. Ryan Reynolds is also bringing back Alf. So I'm not sure what's going on. If he's just like, I got to pull up all my favorite things from when I was a kid and just bring it back. That's totally fine with me because he's bringing Alf back too. So, (laughs) (laughs) 
It's probably a little bit of that, but uh, is he rebooting this as a sort of like kids cartoon sort of thing? Or is this going to be a movie or Um, there's not a lot there in terms of what it is. So it could I have a feeling it's going to be animated, but I don't know if it'll be like computer animated or like old school animation or what. Okay, fair enough. It's it's something cool to look out for. I feel like because of what Ryan Reynolds has done with the Deadpool movies. And like, yes, he was the main actor, but he did have a big hand as far as like behind the scenes stuff goes, like as far as actually getting those movies made. So I feel like he has that track record, but I feel like this is going to be something to look out for to see like, sure. Good of a track record. Does he really have? And uh, that'll be really interesting to uh, talk about once we see it. Yeah. Um, let me see here. Um, I don't know if you heard, but the live action Masters of the Universe movie that Netflix was working on has officially been canceled. Yeah, I did hear about this one. Um, after spending $30 million on developing the movie, they are completely canceling it. I think it's weird, but... I mean, I don't really know what to say about it more than like, oh, I was kind of looking forward to a reboot of that just because I was curious. But yeah, it is what it is, I guess. I th- um, I think it sucks because I think if done well, it could have been like just this great sort of like sci-fi superhero movie. Like it could have been just this really cool project. But I think, I mean, stuff I've heard, which I don't know if it's all just hearsay speculation stuff, is that uh, Masters of the Universe Revelations didn't do as well as they were hoping for season two. And that kind of led to this. But I'm not really sure what to make out of everything. I just I think that's weird to use a cartoon's performance to determine if we should do a live action movie um, (laughs) in that vein, because. I know that. How about this? I remember when the Kevin Smith show was coming out and I showed it to a buddy of mine and I'm like, dude, I know you were a He-Man kid back in the day. He watched the trailer and was like, oh, my God, this looks amazing. I can't wait to watch the show. He's never watched an episode. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you can gauge like some people just don't watch the adult animation stuff. There's some people that just don't watch animation. So I don't really know how to gauge it. Yeah, it's it's a really hard thing to say, and I know Netflix has their reasons, but I feel like if they if they did make that movie and they did deliver on a lot of areas, I feel like it could have been like this really celebrated thing for like every 80s kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But speaking of um, animation, um, the trailer for Castlevania Nocturne for Netflix did drop this afternoon. Did you get a chance to see it? Because I feel bad. I forgot to tell you that it dropped. No, I, I haven't watched it yet, but I still need to catch up. I I still need to watch season three of Castlevania. But yeah, what did you think of this one? <laughs> so I loved the Castlevania series on Netflix. I've talked yeah. about it in this show. Um, I'm a huge Castlevania fan in general. This cartoon looks crazy good um it just looks in the same it looks in the same vein but it looks like they're diving into the story a little like definitely deeper you're dealing with a new belmont um it just looks like more castlevania goodness uh i feel like i almost feel like they kind of up the ante if you will just based on the trailer alone so uh, that comes out september 28th on netflix i look forward to it. it looks great 
Um, so yeah, check out the trailer, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll check that out as soon as I can. <laughs> um, let me see here. Did you, by any chance, see the trailer for One Piece? No, I've seen a lot of screenshots. Um, oh. Yeah, I haven't watched the trailer for this one. Um, this one's a weird thing, because I love anime, but I've never specifically gotten into One Piece as a series. And... Uh, I don't I don't know if I have anything to go off of to judge the trailer. You know, sure. I know kind of the vibe of the show, but it's like I don't know enough about the show. And uh, yeah, I just haven't checked out this one yet. Uh, did, this, what do you think then? The trailer looks awesome. OK. And the trailer also um, made me realize, because like you, I may like anime, but that. I'm not as familiar with One Piece, and One Piece is the is the one anime that I feel like keeps it keeps coming up in conversation, where I feel behind in terms of keeping up with it. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Like I feel like I'm behind for some reason. Like I haven't watched One Piece. You know, like how dare you not watch One Piece? Um, the reason I say that is because this trailer makes me look like I should probably go watch the anime. <laughs> Like, it looks fantastic. And I'm like, have I been missing out? <laughs> so I, I, might have, I, I might have to give the anime a go. I think it's one of those things where, best case scenario, this show comes out and it's enough of a hit that a lot of people go to the source material and they'll start watching the One Piece anime or reading the original manga. Um, I've read, like, the first chapter of the manga, I want to say, and... Uh, for some reason, I wasn't connecting with it right away. I don't know if it was the art style or I don't know what it was, but sure. everybody I know who's into One Piece is like super into One Piece. And they say it's like one of the greatest stories ever made. I guess the uh, the universe of the story is really vast and it has like all sorts of crazy characters and situations. It has like a little bit of something for everybody and has anything you could want at the same time and uh, I just haven't personally gotten into it on that level but uh, yeah I guess I kind of missed the hype for the trailer because of that um, so yeah I I, <laughs> I feel a little bad because I mentioned I had kind of a busy week and I feel like I'm a little bit behind on even the One Piece trailer and that you know not to mention the anime <laughs> so yeah. well I know you'll catch up I you got a lot of I gave you a whole list of things you should be watching on top of that, and you got to squeeze in trailers and everything. I get it. Um, <laughs> but you're also stuck watching uh, Mario and Pixels again. So yeah. um, get to it when you get to it, I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you missed out on this. This is the last news story of the night. Skittles adds is teaming up with French's Mustard to release Skittle fla uh, mustard-flavored Skittles. I'll try it. <laughs> I, I'm glad you said you'll try it because whew, um, French's Mustard and Skittles are celebrating National Mustard Day with an unusual sweet and pungent treat, Mustard Skittles. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of mustard in general. I mean, it's got to be like 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 my kid puts mustard on a hot dog by itself. That grosses me out because I don't like mustard like that. <laughs> but if you put, like, ketchup and mustard together on, like, a hamburger or something, that's a little different, you know. Um, but it is what it is. But I will not – I don't know if I'll be trying mustard Skittles. <laughs> Sometimes I like to try those odd candies and stuff. But, yeah, I don't know about this one. 
Yeah, it's one of those things that you buy before going to a party or something, and then you walk in the door and you're like, hey, check out this stupid thing I bought, and then everybody kind of tries it and gives their thoughts. Um, that's what I meant when I said, like, I'll probably buy a bag and just check them out, like maybe eat one or two and share them around. I do not expect to love this candy, but it is interesting that they are doing this. And I always love, I love, like, these random... Um, whether it's candy or snacks, like there's so many like gimmicky, like Oreo flavors and stuff. And I kind of do appreciate that stuff just for the novelty of it. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I It doesn't sound like this is going to be like a long standing, like, no, it's a sell this into perpetuity. It kind of sounds like a quick, like one off sort of gimmick, you know? Yep. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, how about this, man? We're got a lot more comic book stuff to talk about, so let's jump over to our list because uh, that's it's Comic Con weekend, and you gave us a comic book list to discuss. So, yep, um, we're gonna roll the thing. And now for the top five. Uh, Peter, it's your list. Do you want to explain what we're doing tonight? Yeah, so... It's going to be interesting for an audio podcast, but go ahead. <laughs> it is, but uh, I do like the more like visual art-related uh, lists. Um, I do listen to a handful of podcasts that like specifically talk about like visual arts and illustration and stuff, so I don't mind it, but I do know what you mean, like... This is a list that would be nice if we had like a slideshow that we could give to all of our viewers to uh, look at what we're talking about it while we're talking about it. But basically, I wanted to do a comic book list because San Diego Comic-Con just happened. I knew there was going to be a ton of news and I was like, it'd be really fun to talk about something comic book related. And uh, I was racking my brain for this pick, but I realized we could talk about our top five favorite comic book covers and uh, for me, this har this harkens back to the list that we did that's like our top fa five favorite movie posters, because when it comes down to it, a comic book cover, in essence, is a pretty similar concept to a movie poster. You know, you have to have something, some sort of image that indicates the story that you're going to be reading. You're going to have to have some sort of element that's going to catch the reader's eye. You're going to have to uh, bring in your marketing expertise to uh, get the person to actually buy the book in the first place. And uh, I just thought this would be a fun one to talk about. Um, going through the history of comic books, there is a ton of iconic, just super memorable covers. And it's one of those things where if you walk around a comic convention or a comic book shop or even sometimes your local department store you might see these images whether it be on t-shirts or posters and stuff like that and uh, I just thought it'd be fun to talk about you know what are your what are the top five comic book covers that are your favorites and kind of stuck stuck with you through the years you know what I mean how difficult was this list for you to do it was difficult in the sense of trying to remember ones that I really loved, um, trying to narrow it down to a select five of them, and uh, a lot of just research into 
oh, wait, what was that one cover? I got to look it up. Or what was that one book that I read that I can't remember the name of? I got to look it up. And there's a lot of I did a lot of that. And I feel like I probably still missed. <laughs> I probably still missed some. But uh, I do have a solid top five that I'm happy with. So. All right. So ultimately, I'm happy with my top five list. I'm going to be very shocked if you and I matched at all. Um I think there's maybe one that will match on, but I don't think it will match on the same spot. Um, I oh. found this to be the biggest project in terms of putting a list on and the entirety of us doing this show in the past five years. And I say that because this was a pull out the long boxes and start going through my books. Yeah. Which is exactly what I did. I pulled out all my long boxes and started going through each issue one by one, pulling out, like making notes of the ones that I really, really like, why I like those things. Like it, it was a it was a huge undertaking. Um, and I know I missed stuff and I know that I was like and it was just like, man, and I'm putting like books aside going, nope, that's got to make the cut. That's not making the cut. All right. I'm going to have to like that. This was a hard list to do. So, yeah. Um, I do have two honorable mentions. I assume you do as well. Yeah, of course. <laughs> All right. Um, the first honorable mention of mine is a classic. It's one of the most, it's probably one of the number one top selling books of all time. And that is The Death of Superman. Um, Great choice. This is the specific, this is the iconic cover of, it's the black cover with like it's essentially like the newspaper headline death of Superman with the flag and the cape blowing on the flag, the torn cape, that issue, um, which I really think that they missed an opportunity to use that image in uh, Batman versus Superman. You're just, right. Just You're saying right. Um, not that and you and, and I don't want it to be a repeated image, but I wanted it to be a. Uh, Zack Snyder version of that image because he likes to use specifics, but the cape, the ripped cape on the flagpole, like a flag itself, uh, depicting the death of Superman, you know? But. Yeah. So I think this is a great choice. I think this is a beautiful cover. Um, the thing uh, that I love about this pick drew is I mentioned that when I picked this list, I was thinking about how we did our top five favorite movie posters. And uh, the one thing that I think I was a little bit disappointed with while putting together my comic book uh, list is when you look at when you go back to our episode about our top five favorite movie covers, we picked a lot of really simple covers. We picked stuff like the Jaws or I mean, not covered, but a lot of simple posters like the Jaws poster where you have a big shark and you have a woman swimming above the shark, and it's this really iconic, simple image, but it tells the story so well. Or when you think of the uh, the original Alien cover, how all you have, you have like a black, sorry, I keep saying cover, but you know what I mean, poster. <laughs> you have like a black background, and you have the egg, and it's cracking open slightly, and you just see that green glow from inside, and it's a really simple but striking image. And... Uh, in the world of comics, there's I feel like there's not as many covers that have those like really simple striking images. A lot of times there's a lot going on on the covers. There's maybe some big battle scene. You have three or four characters fighting. You might have like so many details. And the one thing that I love about this uh, Death of Superman cover that you mentioned is that 
it is simple and it is iconic and you have basically a pile of rubble a uh you know this like stick sticking up and you have this makeshift flag made out of superman's ripped cape and it is so like it tells a story it tells that there's a big tragedy go that happened and uh it's just it's iconic and it's memorable and uh yeah just good call with this one yeah all right man what's your first honorable mention yeah so my first one um is a lot probably a lot less um <laughs> a lot less heavy as far as subject material goes and this one just more goes into my own personal aesthetics but i actually picked the cover of battle chasers number one which is a comic by uh artist joe Matarera, and this was done for cliffhanger comics in the late 90s uh cliffhanger also published the uh danger girl comics and a couple other uh series but it's basically was just kind of a adjacent to the big two superhero stuff this was just kind of like a really popular indie publisher that did some really cool stuff but i love joe Matarera's artwork and uh battle chasers number one it kind of just has this sort of he has a very like anime influenced art style and it kind of it's kind of one of those comic covers that i call them montage covers but that's kind of just my made-up terminology but it's just kind of one of those covers that has a lot of characters and a lot going on and he fits all the characters of the story together and like into a cool unique design with how they're displayed on the page and uh that's really why i picked this one i was just a fan of his artwork um and i just really liked the way that this cover looks and uh yeah that's pretty much it uh this one's also cool because it's one of those i don't know what you want to call it like a bifold covers where it on the front of the page uh it has like there's a lot going on or on the front of the book there's a lot going on and uh, there's a lot of characters but if you fold it open on the back cover the design continues and it kind of uh there's still some characters but it kind of tapers off into kind of a unique design where there's more going on on the front cover than the back cover and uh, i feel like i'm not doing it justice but you can google this one and kind of see what i'm talking about i'm actually gonna probably unless you and i match on something i'm probably gonna google as i go <laughs> fair enough fair enough <laughs> <laughs> so there's that um but you know this looks uh, the artwork on this looks really cool and i don't know the book in the sense the same way because i've never read this um, but I do recognize the images of a couple of the characters on the cover. So I probably knew the series. Um, I loved the Danger Girl series a lot. Um, I actually didn't realize um, I have I I got to meet Scott Campbell, who did the artwork for Danger Girl, and he signed my graphic novel. What I don't remember him signing were several of the issues for Danger Girl. Nice. So, like I was like, I got to my Danger Girl ones. I'm going through. I'm like, I don't remember him signing this stuff. Um <laughs> So awesome. <laughs> I actually discovered that way more of my comics are signed than I realized. Um, so <laughs> um, that's really cool that I have all those signatures that I do. All right. Totally. Before I continue on, I'm going to say that the majority of my list is DC based. Um, you know, you gravitate towards certain characters, which means you buy certain comics and stuff. You have certain images, you have certain artists, all that stuff becomes your favorite. This is a very DC heavy list. I do have one Marvel, but most of mine are DC. Um, I, I'm I have actually a pretty good uh, mix between DC and Marvel. So that's I was I was trying to make a blend, but I was literally like, man, this just <laughs> I was I was this was a really hard list to do. I'm not gonna lie. 
Um, not the fact that your favorites are your favorites, you know what I mean? I, I know, exactly. So my second honorable mention is from the Jeff Loeb, uh, Michael Turner, Supergirl run, uh, or Bat- Batman, Batman, Superman run by Jeff Loeb and Michael Turner. Yeah. Um, this is Batman, Superman number 12. This is during the Supergirl uh, arc. The cover itself is a black and red blended background. So it's like black on top and it blends into red for the bottom. Um, and it's got Darkseid standing with his back. You, so it's you see his backside. He's standing with his back to you. And he's kind of like leaning over his right shoulder a little bit to kind of look at you in the picture. And you got Supergirl standing in front of him facing you in this like crazy dark side like get up because she's been turned by dark side. The image itself is absolutely amazing. Like first off, Michael Turner's artwork is astounding from like just everything about it. Like the way he shapes his characters, the way he like um, puts in the detail and all that stuff. Um, but it's one, I just love the image that that conveyed. I It's just fantastic. So, yeah. Yeah. This is a really cool thing like that. Uh, dark side. I don't know if you're Googling along with me, but. Yeah, I'm Googling along with it with you. Um, I've read this comic, too, but it's uh, it's been a while. But no, this is a really it's a classic dark side pose, but it's done so well. And I love the sort of uh, Supergirl standing there. And it just has that essence of like she's been corrupted, like she's been turned to the dark side. No, pun <laughs> yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, no um, pun intended. But that's great. And this is. um. I can't remember the name of it was the was the they did an animated version of this story arc. Was it Batman Superman Apocalypse? Is it that was, the animated yeah. movie? Yes, it was. Yeah. So that's a that's a cool thing for people to check out um, if they're unable to actually check out the comic series. But yeah, uh, yeah great pick. Um, all right, dude, what's your next honorable mention? Yeah, so my next one is an honorable mention because while I love this image, it technically wasn't made as a comic book cover, but it became a comic book cover later on. Okay. <laughs> so that's why I went with this one. But uh, this is Frank Frazetta's Death Dealer. So Frank Frazetta, one of the greatest science fiction artists of all time. And he's somebody who's had his hand at a lot of comic book stuff, especially when you go back to the old school, like EC comics, like Tales from the Crypt and stuff like that. But he made, I believe the Death Dealer was originally made as just a painting. And uh, basically what it is, is you have this badass medieval warrior on this big, like, uh, big, like, creepy looking horse and uh the the warrior has kind of this like interesting like viking looking helmet and you can't see his face and you just see his eyes glowing through the helmet and he's holding an axe and he just looks he looks like death incarnate he looks like he's like the grim reaper or something and you don't know what he is but you just know he looks badass and it's like the coolest painting you've ever seen and uh this is just a as far as i know this is just like one of Frank Frazetta's paintings that got so popular that it kind of got like the cult fan base. And years later, they started using it that like they made a Death Dealer comic book like years after the fact that this painting was created. And uh, they've had like a bunch of comics and a bunch of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
based on this character but it's just such a cool image and uh, like I said this one's kind of a cheat because as far as I know it was originally just a painting on its own Mm -hmm. but through the years it's been used as the cover of a number of comics and I think that's actually pretty cool you know yeah it's a really really cool image yeah yeah I don't know if I was expecting any like fantasy art from you I figured you were going to be very like close to the neck close to the neck with uh i know you're gonna pick a couple oddballs but i figured you're gonna be a little bit closer to the big two uh pillars in the comic world most of the uh, rest of my list is but uh i kind sure. of wish i had some more weird indie stuff but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, yeah. all right well i'm gonna knock this one out because we just talked about batman superman we're gonna talk about it again this is batman superman number 13 from the same run uh jeff Loeb and michael turner um this is a classic Literally, Supergirl flying in the sky. That's all it is. Um, but it's a gorgeous cover. It's very simple. It just, I mean, you know what you're getting with this book. Like, it's just is what it is. It's awesome. Um, this is a book I actually have signed by both like Jeff Tur- Michael Turner and Jeff Loeb. Um, I, actually, I actually own three copies of it. I remember I bought the third copy because Michael Turner was at the con, and I, like, went... He wasn't supposed to be there. He wasn't signing. He wasn't doing anything. He was just talking to a guy at a booth. And I was like, wait a minute. And I like rushed to go buy the copy of the book and then rush back before he left the booth. <laughs> yeah. Um, I go, well, I need to move. And he was so gracious with his time and talked to us and stuff. It was awesome. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know if you have anything to say on this one. This is just a simple image, like Supergirl shot. But I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite uh, comic pieces of comic art. So. Yeah, this is actually one of them that I came across while I was putting my list together. And uh, uh, it didn't make the final cut, but it's such a good pick. And I actually, when I was putting my list together, I was like, I wonder if Drew is going to pick that one. Um, And Michael Turner, he's just, he was such a legend. And uh, he was unfortunately taken from us way too soon. But he, just one of the greatest comic book artists of all time. And he had such a cool... To me, he's up there with, like, Jim Lee or Mark Silvestri. Like, he has that cool sense of, like, his artwork looks really realistic, but it has that really cool sort of, like, edge to it that not a lot of artists have. And he just has gorgeous work. And uh, I remember um, going to one of the Chicago Comic-Cons after he had passed away, and I think it was Top Cow had a booth um, up there. And uh, I think it was at the Top Cow booth because he did a lot of work on. um, I can't remember the series that he did for Top Cow that was like, um, was it not Fable? Um, Something with an Uh, It was. Oh, man, it was the fairy one. Why am I drawing a. Yeah, you know, uh, Sojourn. Was it that? Well, he did Sojourn, which was the fairy one he did, which that artwork is amazing. Yeah. Um, what was the one for Top Cow? Was it Darkness? No, it was, I'll, I'll, I'll probably think of it later, but it was cool because one of the cons I went to, they had just tons of original pencils and, uh, inks of his on display. And they basically just had, it was kind of just this, like, you know, a like three tables just filled with his, um, artwork and you could just go up and look through portfolios and just flip pages and it was just it was just amazing so he's he's just such a great artist and uh yeah um rest in peace but uh great great pick yeah all right man what's your 
first pick of the night, man. Yeah. Um, all right. It's kind of it's one of those things where it's like, where do I begin? But uh, I'll go with this one because this one I feel like is a little bit off the beaten path, but it is for the big two comics. And uh, that is uh, Venom Dark Origin number five. And uh, this is a comic book cover by Angel Medina. Um, Angel Medina, I've been following for a long time. I think he's a great artist. I kind of became aware of his stuff when he was working on uh, the Spawn books on Image, but since then he's actually done a lot for Marvel. Like He's done a couple different Spider-Man and Venom uh, series and stuff like that. And uh, Venom Dark Origin was kind of just a cool Venom-based miniseries that he did, but it kind of gave like this sort of kind of brought to life this sort of tragic backstory of Eddie Brock's. And uh, it was just a really fun comic. But this specific issue I love because it's so it's Angel Medina doing what he does best, where it is crazy artwork, a lot of detail. You have him twisting forms and anatomy and stuff like that. But essentially what this image is, is it's kind of just a close up image of Venom's face And uh, you have elements of his symbiote and his tongue and uh, just crazy stuff going on around the face. And it's it's one of those cases of it's kind of the way that it's drawn that I just love. But in my mind, the uh, it's like one of those images that carries movement, even though it's a static image. And in my mind, it has that level of like, this is how I imagine Venom is you know what i mean and that's why i love it um another little tidbit i actually used to have a t-shirt with the same image on it and i loved that t-shirt too but uh that's that i had to throw away because i think it got holes in it or something but uh (laughs) still something cool so (laughs) yeah yeah. um yeah good call that's a really really cool image too yeah um, and that's it's your style of uh, art and like just the stuff I know you're into with like because I know you're a guy who likes monster art and stuff like that. So, that's yeah, totally like your style artwork. Um, all right. So, like I said, mine's pretty much all DC and it's almost all Batman, too. And I didn't realize that when I was putting it together. But, hey, you know what? I don't care. Um, so the next one, this is uh, from the Nightfall story arc. Um, I don't honestly I cannot put my finger on why I like this cover so much. I think it's such a cool looking cover um, and I've seen it and I like the original image and someone I saw online did a Bruce Tim variant. So it was like they swapped out the characters on the cover and did it like a Batman animated series style. But this is Batman 495 from the Nightfall story arc. The image is Batman tied up to a tree with like poison ivy like holding them at gunpoint. Um, and it was during the nightfall arc leading up to the fall, the breaking of his back and then Azrael taking over. But I just, I, for some reason, I really like this image. It's such a simple cover. Um, but it's, I don't know why I just really like this issue. The issue itself is good, but I really like that cover for some reason. So that's awesome. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know. You're Googling along, so I don't know if you have anything to add to it or not, but yeah, I Googled it. It looks really cool. Um, do you know what artist did this cover? That I'd have to look up and some of the older comics um, without because here's the thing. So some of my older comics, I just don't want to take them out of the plastic. <laughs> I gotcha. um, Not that I can't. But then you go look it up and like the uh, I think it's harder to figure out who did the covers when you're looking through graphic novels. Yes, 
Yeah, you got to start reading the fine print. <laughs> you got to really start reading the fine print. So I don't know who, honestly, I don't know who did the cover for it, but it was during that run with uh, whatever. I just, for some reason, I really like this image. I think it's a really cool cover. So I think it's a cool image and it's classic Batman in the sense of like, it's just Batman and Poison Ivy. And it's like from such an iconic run, but it just it just feels really classic to me. Um, the reason I asked about the artwork is I don't know if it was drawn by him, but it does look really similar to uh, Kelly Jones back Batman oh, stuff. Okay. Um, and uh, the reason I say that is because Kelly Jones was known for doing Batman with just like the really massive ears on his mask. And oh. uh it sounds kind of goofy saying that out loud, but when you look up Kelly Jones artwork, it's awesome because he draws Batman in a really exaggerated way, but he draws him in a way that makes him feel Kelly Jones life. What's that? Kelly Jones. It, it was him. Yep. Good call. Okay, nice. Um, But yeah, Kelly Jones, he draws Batman in a really exaggerated way, but in the way that he feels kind of more monstrous, kind of like he's a creature of of the night as opposed sure. to a regular guy. And I've always loved that aspect of his artwork. So cool, cool stuff. Okay. Cool, man. All right. Um, what do you got for me? Yeah, so my next one is another Batman book. Um, this is cool. actually one of the few books on my list that I haven't read, but I just love this image so much I had to include it. And that is... Batman Harley Quinn number one by Alex Ross um Drew I don't know if you're familiar with this image um if you're not I know you will be once you pull it up but it's essentially Alex Ross is, I gotta is do typing so I gotta do the Google and I gotta do the spreadsheet at the same time <laughs> Alex Ross is one of the greatest comic book artists of all time he does amazing just super realistic gouache uh representations of um kind of like these great superhero stories but this cover specifically is this image that we actually kind of saw oh, to yeah. in the uh david ayer super super or sorry suicide squad film but yep. basically what it is is it's a dark black background and you have like kind of in this really high contrast uh single lighting sort of um view you have the joker standing there and harley quinn standing in front of them and they're kind of standing in a pose like they're dancing like kind of like they're doing a couple's dance in the dark and it's so creepy and it's so striking and like i mentioned we saw this cover kind of homaged in suicide squad and it's I think that kind of goes to show how good this image is because it's it's very simple. You just have Joker and, Har and Harley Quinn, but it's also like feels so perfect as both of those characters. You just love it as soon as you see it. And uh, yeah. that's really why I picked this one. It just it just sticks with you. And uh, it, it's kind of funny. This isn't a requirement for me, but I used to have a T-shirt with uh, this image on it, too, <laughs> which I love that T-shirt. And like I said, that's not like every single uh, pick is going to be picks that I had T-shirts of. But I just I actually kind of realized that while I was talking about it now. But I just love this image like this is. If you're unfamiliar with this image, just look it up and turn it into your phone wallpaper because it's just such a cool, striking uh, picture. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's that's a this image specifically. I feel like I saw on T-shirts 
everywhere. Yeah. I, I knew at least three friends who had a shirt with this image on it. Um, but yeah, that was the time for when that came out. It was just like that iconic image of the Joker. And yeah, I loved that moment in Suicide and David Ayer's Suicide Squad when that happened. I was like, oh, man, good for you for putting that in there. You know, like, yeah. It's also a cool image, too, because as cartoony uh, that in as many cartoony ways as we've seen the Joker and Harley Quinn portrayed, I feel like this image does a good job of showing that those traditional comic or costumes for the characters actually work when done in live action. And I think that's pretty cool, too, you know? Sure. Um, all right. Back to me, I guess. Um Man, it's so hard to tell which one I'm going to go with at the end here. All right. Um, all right. I'm going to go with Batman 500, which is kind of the end of the Nightfall run because it turned into Night's Quest after that. Um, the uh, Batman 500, this is the special edition version of the cover where it's got the classic Bruce Wayne Batman on the cover, and it had this... Um, pull out sort of it's not a poster it was literally like a partial cover that opened and underneath it was the same image but it was the Ezreal Batman in the new costume because you were changing um you were changing from the old Batman to the new Batman in this uh run because Bruce Wayne got his back broken so this was uh Jean-Paul Valley as Ezreal taking over the mantle of the bat um and this is the book where he uh totally just destroyed Bane for what he did but um, I love the cover image. First off, the Bruce Wayne Batman looks amazing to begin with. And then you take that partial cover and turn it. And then you see the new Azrael suit, which I know it got a lot of flack back in the day. Like people just didn't like it. I always thought the Azrael suit was great. Um, I just thought it was a cool take. It was a cool, interesting, futuristic kind of thing. Yeah, he was a crazy guy that turned out to be a douche. And Batman had to come in and like show him who's really boss. But <laughs> I always liked I always liked that cost, that original Asriel costume that he did that uh, before he changed it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Good call. This is a this is a pretty cool cover. Um, I don't know if I was familiar with this one or not, but um, no, it, it is really nice. I I do like that it has like at the core of this cover, you have a really classic Batman image of Batman just swinging across Gotham City, and it just does look really classic and iconic. But then the alternate cover that showcases the Azrael suit. Like it just, it's just cool. And it's like both images feel very nineties, but they also feel timeless and uh, they feel like they're done really tastefully too. So I think, yeah, I think it's this is a good call. Yeah. All right, man. Um, what do you got for me for your next one? Yeah. Um, Okay, so I'm going to get this one out of the way. Um, I actually was going to earlier, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, like you, I'm kind of struggling with the order to talk about things. And, or, it's like my last two. I'm like, man, what do I want to talk about? <laughs> yeah. go ahead. Uh, this is one that I feel like has to be mentioned. I feel like it's one of the greatest comic covers of all time. I don't know that it's my favorite of all time, but it is one that I like a lot, and that is uh, Action Comics number one. We all know and love this comic book cover. This is the original Superman comic book. This is that iconic image of Superman holding up the car. And uh, it kind of looks like Superman's like smashing a car into like this big boulder. 
And then you have all the people around him running away and looking freaked out. And the image almost looks sinister. Like it almost looks like Superman is the bad guy in this case. But I'm a big Superman fan, so of course this is going to make my list. But I feel like it had to be mentioned, too, because this is an image that has over the years. This image has been parodied so many times like i've seen spider-man parodies of this image i've seen indie comics who have done parodies of this i think it's uh it's just one of those things that it's kind of like the original superhero comic book cover and uh, i don't know if it's that good of a cover that it lived on or if it's just kind of the cover that started everything and that's why it lived on but this is like probably my most historic pick but definitely deserved a mention so uh yeah yeah just a classic classic one to go with so cool nice um yes action comics number one this is one that i've seen recreated several times throughout the years um but it's that iconic image and i love that when they when Brandon Routh got to do Superman for Superman Returns, the movie, uh, they made sure that they put almost put the, they put that image in the movie of him like lifting the car like that. Uh, <laughs> Good call. <laughs> and then um, it's it's cool that you brought this up and it makes me want you to watch the uh, um, DC documentary even more. Yeah, I need to watch that. Except, <laughs> yeah, they they talk about um, the reason that was uh, him lifting up the car was such a draw and stuff. It's yeah, really good stuff. Um, so good yeah. call on that one. All right. Um, here is my one and only Marvel title for the night. Um, so it is Amazing Spider-Man. So this is interesting. It's Amazing Spider-Man 493, but it's also number 52 in the Straczynski uh, Ramada Jr. arc. Um, it The cover is by J. Scott Campbell. Um, so you could probably just, if you're Googling this, you could just type amazing Spider-Man 52 and I'll point it out to you. It's the cover where it's got a split diagonally kind of straight across the cover. And on one half of the diagonal slot, it's got Spider-Man in the snow crawling up the side of the building. Like the diagonal is the, uh, that slash across the cover is the side of the building that he's climbing on. And the other side is Mary Jane with like a cup of coffee or something like that in her pajamas, like kind of lean in the kitchen, leaning up against the wall. Like they're touching their hands between the walls, like, you know, be safe out there kind of a moment. This image, I just absolutely love it. Um, yeah, this when uh, when I got married, uh, one of the things was to make the tables at the wedding um, art based. So like you have the Monet table and the Van Gogh table and all that stuff. But I'm a comic artist or a comic artist. I'm a comic fan. So I said half the tables have to be comic book art, too to for that sake of blend and this is one of the image i chose for the covers that had to be put on the, at one of the tables um so I, I i absolutely love this image it's one of my absolute favorites in terms of the spider-man mythos the lore all that stuff so yeah no this is a uh, great call um i j scott campbell is such a i like him so much as an artist but uh i, I kind of like that he's got that one like really famous uh picture of like it's actually pretty similar to this one but it has mary jane who is sitting on a couch um oh i love that image and then in the background i think spider-man swinging yeah. from their apartment in the city and that's the that's a cover of his that i see 
reposted all over the place. It's used for memes. It's just everybody uses that image. And I feel like this one that you selected is a little bit lesser known, but it is like just a really clever image. And this is like a really cool one. But I like that uh, J. Scott Campbell is somebody who is really good at like action based superhero stuff. But I do like that he's an artist who's also really good at the quiet, uh, sometimes more romantic moments and stuff like that because a lot of you know superhero comic artists aren't necessarily always uh as good at that full range of emotions so uh yeah this is this is just a cool and like really clever one to pick so yeah cool man all right second to last one of the night yeah so my second to last one um i actually went with x-men number one um but this is the what's that the jim lee one Yep, yep. So it's not like the original X-Men's num- number one, but yeah, the 90s Jim Lee, Chris Claremont run. Um, yeah, X-Men number one. This is just Jim Lee doing what Jim Lee does best. It's such such a cool image. Yep. Um, what's that? I'm just I'm just agreeing with you. Just yep, oh, yeah, it's the, it's the cover that broke the comic book industry wide open. <laughs> it is. And it's this is one like. You have, like, early 90s, uh, you had, like, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane were kind of breaking the internet before the internet was a thing. But just, like, you had these young artists at Marvel Comics that were taking the world by storm. And uh, X-Men number one, um, as far as I know, I think this might be the best-selling comic book, like, period, like, to this day. But it definitely set records at the time. And it's just because you had Jim Lee again, like he's got that really cool, like realistic, but edgy style at the same time. That is just such a cool way to depict superheroes and action scenes and stuff. But this is such a great cover because I think the actual cover has like Wolverine and Cyclops and they're both like attacking something like Cyclops is shooting his vision at something and Wolverine's getting ready to pounce And uh, what you actually do is you fold open the interior of the front cover and you see that they're attacking Magneto. So the the main panel is Wolverine and Cyclops, but then you open it up and they're shooting, uh, you know, they're attacking Magneto, who's really big on the interior folded cover. But then you fold open the back cover and there's more characters and it's actually like a quad folded thing because the back cover has an interior as well and it's one of those cool things where it has you have jim lee who on this sort of like four folded cover he's showcasing the entire x-men team and it's such a cool way to have such a good artist uh kind of mark his place and announce his run on this comic by showing like here's my team this is an awesome image. It is an image that you can buy the comic. You can hang it up as a poster and it looks badass. I think there was posters made out of this image. It's just classic, but it's just really great 90s comic book stuff. And it's just it's just a beautiful piece when you lay it out all four parts of the cover. But it's also, and I don't want to go on and on, but it's also like those classic jim lee x-men designs you know you have these characters who have their 90s looks that i think is kind of the look for the x-men that we're all still kind of in love with you know when you think we're all all still hoping that's what we're getting when they finally get there yeah absolutely and it's one of those things when i think of wolverine 
I think of that classic 90s like yellow and blue suit. And when I think of Cyclops, I think of how he was depicted uh, back in this comic book, as well as in the X-Men animated series from the from the 90s, et cetera, et cetera. But this one's just such a cool piece of art. Like I just had to mention it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, this book basically broke the world in terms of comic books. This, <laughs> this yeah. is it literally set the world on fire in terms of like, oh my god, comics are amazing, and that's and that's and the and this is when X Men started really get like comic books in my school. Like, you know, there was a there was a point where like we were trading comic books in the hallways. People were like, dude, did you read this one? No, and you're like literally <laughs> trading them in the class, and everyone's got them, carrying them with them, that kind of stuff. You're just always talking superheroes. Literally, that's what it was. It was like the thing in school when I was a kid in junior high. That's just it was like comic books all over the place. And I loved it. It was fantastic. Um, I realized in the midst of because I'm reading through a lot of the um, 90s X-Men stuff is that I really feel like the X-Men books are probably my favorite part of the Marvel Universe. I really do. As I read through it, it's just like going back to those roots and stuff. Man, that's some really solid storytelling art characters everything like it's great um so yeah i don't know i just i've been putting a lot of thought into who like my favorite like my favorite part of marvel and it's all like kind of pulling back to the x-men stuff so yeah anyway um so my last pick of the night um is surprise surprise another batman book i know it's been all batman but when you think about all like when i just there were so many Marvel books I wanted to pick. And then I was like, man, you know, but I love this stuff. And it, sometimes it comes down to the artist and what they're trying to do. Um, and I wasn't, wasn't expecting to talk about this one last, but uh, this is Batman number 615 from the Hush story arc. This is an incredibly iconic image of just Batman and Nightwing running through Gotham City on their way to basically kick some ass. I love this. This image by itself is amazing, just as is. Uh, artwork by Jim Lee uh, that you just talked about, the attention to detail, the design. Uh, the way Jim Lee draws Batman is one of my absolute favorite styles of drawing. Like, the way Batman looks is one of my absolute favorite looks for Batman is Jim Lee's art. Um, but I love this cover. Uh, just everything about it is amazing. Um, it was the background of my phone for a while. <laughs> so... Yeah, uh, I don't know. I know you're Googling along, so I don't know if you have any thoughts on this cover or not. But it's it's one of those ones. It's hard to know what to add to it, but it's just such a good classic image. And it's just one of the parts I love about this cover. It's is it's both characters just jumping into action like they're just running off, getting ready to fight some crime, getting ready to kick some ass. And it's just like. It's that. There's that it's that moment of anticipation before they jump into action that you're getting with this one. But it's just so it's so good. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to add to what you're saying. But no, this is a really good call. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Last one of the night. Yeah. <laughs> so I probably should have talked about this one sooner because it was one of your honorable mentions. But I went with uh, Superman number 75, which is the death of Superman, uh, the the cover that we were talking about is one of your honorable mentions, Drew. Yeah. Um, and this is a cover. I, that, I, I figured this was going to make your list, but yeah, this was, I think it was one of those things where you talked about it early and uh, I should have talked about it right after that, but 
you know, it's just one of my favorites. And I do think this is one of the most iconic covers in comics. And I love the simplicity of it. And I love how it's a very simple cover that also just tells a story when you see it. Um, a couple details <laughs> that I uh, kind of held back from earlier because I didn't want to uh, make it seem like I knew too much about this cover because I didn't want to give away that it was on my list. But besides just having the torn up Superman cape, in the foreground that uh has just such a tragic weight to it if you look at the background you also see like silhouetted images of uh perry white lois lane and jimmy olsen and they're both just looking distraught at uh whatever just happened and uh i think that's like a really cool detail but it goes back to this is an era of superman that i really love like i love the death of superman i love um the like the uh, return of Superman, the reign of the Superman. Like, I really love this era of Superman comics from the 90s. And uh, I think the art back then was really done in a really cool way because it's just so straightforward, like realistic, but just exaggerated enough. And it has a lot of hatchiness and line work. That's really it has a really gorgeous 90s aesthetic. And I really always loved Dan Jurgen's artwork from that aspect but uh another thing that i actually remembered afterwards about this cover after we talked about it before was correct me if i'm wrong drew but i think the original comic when this came out as like a single issue floppy comic i think it was it came in like a black plastic case not case but you know it had like it was covered in black plastic that had a red superman symbol on the front that had kind of like that was like bleeding and it was kind so, of it it's so they talk about this in the superpowered documentary oh perfect <laughs> and i think that that was a special release like a re-release they sold out of the main book so fast that they re-released it and put it in the black bag oh okay i could be wrong <laughs> but um I could be wrong, but I do know they touched on that and they showed the cover like that you're referring to the black plastic and all that stuff in the documentary. So but it is a cool thing because it's like that sort of like we're going to cover this this issue in black plastic. So you can't get any spoilers until you buy it and you leave the leave the shop. But then it also has that ominous bleeding Superman symbol. And it's just such a cool it was such a cool thing to do. And I think. The cover, like the main cover of this comic is iconic, but I also think the cover of that black sleeve they put it in is mm-hmm. also iconic. And uh, it also like this is one of the best selling comic books of all time as well. And one of the clever aspects of the sleeve is I think a lot of people bought two copies of this because you have to buy one copy where you actually open the sleeve and read the comic and then you buy another copy that you keep sealed and uh the big joke is that this comic book sold so well that it's not actually worth (laughs) that much at this point but it still was a really cool way to build hype for this historic superhero event you know yeah which i think that's funny that ultimately it um you know it's it's that it's that book that sold so well that it's not worth anything (laughs) Where everyone was like, oh, my God, the death of Superman this is going to be worth so much money. Yeah. Nope, not worth anything because too many people bought it. 
but it's what else is funny about it is it's also a must have like if you're a comic yeah. book collector you have to have this book so it's like maybe monetary monetarily the book isn't worth a ton but the story is worth a lot in my opinion that's really what should count you know i i know being a superman fan you've probably read this book but you know i read it when i was a kid when it came out you're like okay death of superman that was interesting have you read it since like since you've been an adult yeah yeah i have not, um, not that issue but like the whole run like everything leading up to it yeah i i hunted it down uh they have like a i have a trade paperback version of it um yeah i had to reread it at some point it's, it like, is, i i bring it up just because like when i was a kid i don't think i like the emotional weight that is in yeah. that book is completely different when you're an adult and i was literally reading it and i was like oh my god like you feel the emotional weight like this is nuts yeah uh, they did this um yeah it was it was awesome um but yeah that was it <laughs> yeah yeah that was all my point um all right so that brings us to the end of the list which brings us to the end of this episode we talked way longer than i expected but we had a lot to cover i watched a ton of stuff we had a lot of news we had a lot of things to talk about this list um so peter next week i'm hitting you with a year because we haven't done one of those in a while all right and it's hard to find when i look at our big list of lists <laughs> that we've been doing it is hard to find a year we haven't done yet um we're gonna do 2009 Okay. All right. I, I really wanted to go. I really wanted to do and be like, hey, let's do uh, 30 years ago. Um, but we've already done that list. And I didn't. <laughs> I'm like, oh, hey, we've already done that one. So you can go back into our archives and see what we picked for 1993. But um, I was like, hey, let's do 2009, because why not? Uh, it was a year that I flagged a long time ago, thinking it'd be a cool conversation. And um, we just never did it yet. So good call. Yeah, this is the uh, Avatar year, if that helps you at all. All right, then. But when you see what's on the list, you're going to be like, whoa, this is a big list. So we might match on a bunch of stuff, but I think it'll be a cool conversation because I think you and I, there's a lot of nerd stuff that came out that year. So um, that, that's awesome. I, I vaguely remember like some movies that I think came out in 2009, and I think it it should be a fun discussion. So, yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. We just haven't done a year in a while, so I figured, why not? Um, but yeah, are you ready to close this episode out? Yeah, let's go for it. Cool. All right, everyone, do us all a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, uh, top5report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there, social media, either way it works. We are on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon, Audible, you can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the, it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at NinjaPierre. And that's where I'll be asking, what if we told time alphabetically instead of numerically? Like, what time is it? I don't know. B-F-D-H? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, all right, everybody. For the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.